Alright, quiet down now. We open our session like any good game of D&D should, at the Lazy Oak, a local tavern. Your hero, Mark, is Vasil, a retired soldier now working out of your own smithy. As you drink with a group of friends, Riso said, did you hear about the Dirtical Kid in Rostoka, a village nearby? His mother trapped him in an oven and burned him alive. She Yummy. must have gone mad because she was raving about how it was okay because it wasn't really her child at all. It was some sort of monster that replaced her beloved son. She needs to be locked up. <laughs> Yodan remarks, Really? That makes the second one this month. A father in Morovia stabbed his eight-year-old boy in the heart with a pair of iron scissors. He told the authorities the same thing, that it's wow. okay because it wasn't his son at all, but a monster sucking out the very life out of his mother. Sounds like this is a comedy. You get up from the table saying how it chills you to think of these poor innocent children being cut down by their own parents, the ones who are supposed to protect them. After shaking your head, you tell your four friends that you must get up early in the morning to help Marika and Ivan, who are your sister and her husband, <laughs> put in a new fence on their family farm. Nice. And you bend your friends a good night. As you get up at dawn, with the stories from the night before still very much present in your mind, you fix yourself a light breakfast and think, oh, how it will be nice to see your sister and her happy family. And with this new sense of hope, you set off for, for Marika's. You arrive safely and are greeted by Marika and Ivan, who both look very happy to see you. With a big smile on your face, you say, Ah, sister, and give her a hug. <laughs> Sounds like me. You notice that she's looking a little pale, though. You're about mm. to greet Ivan when you see Pieta, the six-year-old daughter, dancing towards you, singing, Uncle Vasil. You see the faces on your sister and her husband immediately drop. She gives you a great big hug, looking up at you, she says, did you know that the human body can have up to 270 bones? <laughs> and with that little fun fact, she runs off. She's like the kid from Jerry Maguire. You notice she had had a bit of red crust stuck on the corner of her mouth. Yvonne says, come on, let's go. Let's get to work and get this new fence in. You go with him as Marika takes your horse. While you are installing the fence, you notice a solemn look on Yvonne's face. You try to start up a conversation about anything, really, but you're met with quick answers like, yep, uh-huh, and oh. You ask if there's anything wrong, he says, no, nothing, just tired, that's all. But you can tell that there's something more. Just before the night fall, as you are finishing up, Marika, with a sad look on her, hands you your horse off to you. After walking up the path with your sister, you ask her if everything is alright. She looks down and says, with tears in her eyes, says, No, I, I think that there's something wrong with Pietra. You ask her if you think she's sick. And it's not the water. Marika says, No, she's, it's just that she hasn't been acting like herself lately. For example, she seems to be more bubbly and have knowledge of things that no little girl should, while at the same time not knowing simple things about her own life. When I told her you were coming here today, she looked confused on who you even were. You tell Marika, that's, that's just how children are. She's at that age now, where she's growing up fast, and she's going through some... Ch she, Marika cuts you off and says, No, that's not it. Remember when Pieta's arm was cut open by that broken window? I checked. The, her scar is gone. I don't think that's my daughter. I don't think that's Pieta. Hmm. 
with the wind blowing Marika's blouse, you see a red circle of bumps upon her heart. With a worried look in your eye, you tell her to not to do anything rash, that you will get to the bottom of this immediately. And as you hug your sister goodbye, you have a dark feeling that something terrible is about to happen. Well, Marco, would you play this one shot? Mm, yes. It sounds like a little vampire child is drinking my sister's blood. And yeah, her, her real daughter. Something's gone. going on, that's for sure. Well, with the red circles on her heart. And yeah. The red crust on the little kid's lip. Yeah. Sounds very vampirish to me. Yeah. Or some some kind of creature that that's replacing children, maybe. And <laughs> the only way to kill them is with fire or iron. <laughs> An evil pedophile. Actually, I think most monsters. You know that. I think evil in D and D is often too pure, and a lot of times. If I'm DMing, which is usually the case, unless I'm playing with you, then it seems like, well, I just, I'm always trying to make evil more corrupt, right? Because that's what evil is to me. Evil isn't just wearing a black cape and saying, and laughing on a mountain and like ruin the economy of your local village. You know what I mean? But that's the fun evil, right? That's the commercial evil, I should say. Well, that's, that's almost not evil (laughs) in in a way. It's too common of a human. uh, Well, what I like about, what I just kind of wrote was yeah. that the monster really is just a creature trying to live its life too. You know, it's it. This is how it survives, right? You sympathize it, with your with it, your creatures. Why not? They're just they're they're like any any other kind of living creature, right? They're like a dog. You so know, they just want to live. They're just they're just in your habitat, right? And they're invading your habitat. They're predators like, in your habitat. Yeah. So to you, they're evil because they're disrupting your life. But within their own society, they're not really evil. I agree. It's it's that mentality. I it's it, that mentality makes me laugh when it's applied to like science fiction, where human astronauts land on a planet and they call everything there an alien <laughs> when they're the aliens. You know what I mean? There's, like everything there is indigenous to the planet. There's like to. a 2010 or something like that animation yeah. where an astronaut does he goes to a planet and he's like, oh, there's aliens everywhere. And it's like, actually, you're the alien. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's so, it's such a good point. It is, yeah. But if you look at like old science fiction, it, you know, human domain is just wherever humans are, I guess. But that that derails a little from what you're talking about, I guess. I, yeah, I mean, I would play that. Of course, I'd play anything D and D. Doesn't have to be, it doesn't matter how, you know, uncommon or different it is from, your normal tropes of fantasy. I don't really care. I find it interesting either way. Yeah, I figured I'd lean heavy into the the opening with a a tavern. You know, just well, like that's how it always every good adventure starts. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean taverns. Taverns are as I don't know. Like that is probably the most. That's one of the strongest tropes in any medieval every, fantasy RPG. Or just it's where all the general. information is. It's where you go to start the D and D game. Right. Well, I mean, if I think about a lot of the Little adventures I've had in my life, the side quests, let's call them, <laughs> they mostly started in bars. <laughs> I like in yours, taverns. the one where you're walking down the street and Snapchatting it, and then everyone's trying to figure out where you are, but no one knows. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don't give me social media when I'm drunk and lost. <laughs> Actually, I wasn't lost. Like, my brain, my body knew where to go. It knew north. You, so it started hey, going north. It's important. Yeah. I don't know my cardinal directions when I'm in the world without a device. Really? Yeah, I need something to tell me where where I'm facing. Like you know, a compass, at least. You're not I the first person to tell me that. I mean, I could kind of... I mean, I know that the sun sets from uh, east to west. But other than that, 
You yeah. Know? I can't really tell I you. I think it's really important, too. Well, I think it is, too. I think it's a skill I wish I had. But Well, my father, my father made sure that me and my brother, and he tried with my sister, <laughs> to make sure that we always knew what direction, how to tell, yeah, like, you know, bearing in direction or just direction at least so that we would never truly be lost and it has helped me because i was driving before the days of gps yeah uh and you know i remember riding with my father he was a courier that he would drive 16 hour days every day in his car so the only, sometimes the only time i could spend with him was on my summer school school summer breaks and i would just go to you know the day at work with dad and it was in the car that whole time and I would learn how to read a map. And that's, that's cool, though, that you got to spend that kind of time with them. It was cool. I, I looked forward to it. It I was almost to, like a mini vacation. I used to go on uh, my with my dad when he would he would substitute, substitute for bus driving. Mm-hmm. And I'd go with him on those uh, sometimes because my mom would that have would to go cool. into work. And then I'd have to go with my, my dad while my mom worked nights. That's and my cool, dad was yeah. finishing up his. Because he, like, he had like four jobs at once. Man, it was crazy. He uh, had his main job as like a, well, what was it, a draftsman, right? So he would make parts for trains. And then he would um, substitute bus driving, which I, I would tag along with him sometimes. And then he'd also work at a pizza place or two. Jeez. <laughs> it's like, Jesus. Making every dollar he can for his family. Yeah, yeah he he was a dedicated man for sure. It's inspiring. It teaches yeah. you a lesson. It's one thing I... No matter how hard I work in my life, at times, even even in those times, I think about the stories of my my grandmother or even my mother and father. You know, just people before me, what they had to go through, just to make ends meet. So I'm always thankful for that. Yeah. But uh, boy, it's getting real in here. Let's go back <laughs> to D and D. All right. <laughs> Why do you play D and D? Well, I play D and D for the simple reason, like I think most people play D and D. It lets your imagination free. It lets you tell a story. You know, of I love telling in a weird way. I love telling made up stories more than I do real stories. Um, and I have probably as many real stories to tell as I do fake ones. If that makes any sense, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it is, and I don't know why that. Might, I guess uh, to me, my life stories were are just things that happened to me. So to me, they're really usually not exciting. Right. Um, but I've had other people tell me like, no, you should talk about that. You know. Um, you should make a podcast about that. <laughs> um, but to me, what's exciting is what my imagination can come up with. And D&D is really fun. It's really good at letting you do that. And in, in a weird way, it helps you relax, too. It sort of breaks the ice on the awkwardness that comes with sharing your imagination. We're being creative, like being an artist around other people, like streaming your art, right? Yeah. That's the way I look at it is like, it's, it's improv mind. acting pretty it much is. the whole time as a DM or a, as a player. It, it definitely That's is really fun yeah. is that you just get to let your mind kind of go into this other world and then experience it. And if you have a good enough you know, imagination or you practice enough, you can experience a lot through that. You can. And I feel like I helped talk you into DMing. So now that you've DMed and played, which do you like better? I. That's like... As a saying, apples to oranges, I think, hmm. because having a character is awesome because you get to build one thing and focus on that. But what's really fun about DMing is that you're never bored during a session. You're never at a at a wall. You're, you're yeah. always, yeah, you're always conversing with the players and you're always trying to move the story along or like and problem get them, solving on yeah, the spot. Yeah, and pro- that's a lot of, exercise. That's one of my brain. favorite things about 
a lot of art mediums is the problem solving aspect. I like agree. 3ds Max, yeah. that's my favorite thing about uh, 3D modeling is that there's so many ways to do the same thing as there, as they say there's a hundred ways to skin a cat, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just fun when one way doesn't work, and then you're like, okay, I got to find another way, and then you find that way, and it's like so rewarding. Oh, I agree, and you, just, and you learn more each time. It's like this is like the best. I agree because I to add to that one thing I love is when there's a problem and many people say, well, that's like almost like it's an element of nature. Well, fire is fire and this problem's the problem. It can't be solved. It's like, no, it can be solved and I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. And that's exciting. Yeah. I agree. And DMing is definitely like that. It's a great exercise in, in multitasking and problem solving. So it's a tool in that way. Yeah. Have you ever, T- taken any skills that you've learned in D&D into the real world? Oh, all the time, especially what I learn about people. And I, that may sound funny because if you're playing D&D, you're, you're, you're technically supposed to be role-playing, right? Pretending to be someone you aren't. But that is so far from the truth. I feel like most people are just being themselves. They're letting loose. They're, they're unedited. Yeah, uh, it's like, almost like they're... Like when you're drunk and you let let thoughts it a is a little bit like free. that. It can be, yeah. It comes out in your character, it's, especially if you get comfortable. It comes out, and yeah, no, I use it. I I learn from it all the time, and I apply I apply what I learn in other situations in life to D and D when I play, and vice versa. And you definitely learn about. That's why I like to play with new groups and new people, and even complete strangers, because you you know you never know what kind of person you're going to meet. And it's always a learning experience. It's always it's always enlightening. Yeah, you know? no, I've I've learned how to negotiate a little better with people. Yeah, with people because of DMing. Because not just DMing, but just as a player character. One time, I uh, was at a hotel and we had this coupon, but they wouldn't accept the the free night stay or something like that. So, uh, my girlfriend at the time she walked out and she went to go get some information from the car. It's like, no, this is legit and yeah. all that stuff. And the guy was just like, he was not having a good day. So I'm like, hey, man, how are you doing? You, you, you getting off soon? It's like, yeah, luckily I am. I've been <laughs> working all day. And he just got like, he just opened up once I started asking him about himself. And then like, he like was like, yeah, it's no problem. We'll just get this whole thing squared away. And like problem, fix the problem like instantly. Yep. It was so good. I was like, wow, I just learned like subterfuge from DM, DMing well, and, or playing. I, that's a really good example. Uh, then, yeah, that's a really good example because I agree. It, it so I, I, I think of it as like manipulation, for lack of a better word. Yeah, but it's a good. But it's like it was. It was good for both parties. Right. I got what I wanted, and he lightened up. You snapped he, him out of himself. Yeah, because he just just in this funk, and he yeah. was not having a good day. He was already worked like twelve hours, and was at one hotel now he's at this hotel and, and maybe like, nobody spoke to him in any simple real sense or as a person right That's people I mean. you don't talk to your your the people that you're asking service from you don't really usually talk to them as people you talk to them as like True. like yeah, as an entity that does that owes you the thing that you want yeah i've thought about that too and i to me, it's like almost like a, a simple curt. It feels like that's the courtesy, right? That's the way to be cur- in a weird way. And what I mean is, uh, because if you treat someone quietly and and non directly, and they do the same for you, then all that happens is the service, and that way no drama occurs. Right. So I feel like a lot of people. But generally, that's what I want. <laughs> generally, I think that's what everybody wants, even the person committing the service. Yeah. But every now and then. 
It's good really, to be recognized yeah, as you're a human. Be, yeah, they interact, man. Like, <laughs> I'm like they're not that. they're not androids, yeah, as we exactly. were talking about before. You're, yeah, no, I I totally agree with it, and and I feel like I apply it even more now, and it and you know especially now in 2020 with the way life has changed for at least hopefully temporarily for most of us here in the West, and uh, specifically the Midwest. If it's any different in anywhere else in the world, I wouldn't know, but it has definitely like broken down on that social interaction i almost feel because i go on social media more than i've ever had in my life really and if yeah and it feels to me it feels like an outcry for attention more so than before where you know people are just hungry for touch they're they're hungry for you know face to face and, and whether they know it or not it comes across that way to me in their expressions yeah, they're just like crying out into the the void I for see, someone that's to. That's how I see it. Yeah, to I, call back. Know. Yeah, it's a it's kind of tough in the way we're living right now with the whole the dis, social distancing. I think that a lot of people that are recluse haven't really changed much, but I don't you know. can definitely see it that like people have become a little more antsy, if you will. Definitely. Mm-hmm. But hey, it's great for D&D. Yes, yes, yes it is. <laughs> There's lots of time to play D&D when you're on unemployment or you're just sitting at home or working from home, you know. You can squeeze in a session here or two. But, yeah. which is funny because we haven't played in a long time. I know, it's very frustrating. Like, our whole group is like, one person's gone at least once a week and it's hard to, can't really con- continue the story when, when you're missing a group. Well, that's remember. why lately I've been more about, I think, one shots can be more fun sometimes than like a campaign campaigns a lot to like commit to. Yeah. But I like the campaign because then you're, sure. you're developing your character each time. I guess you could use the same character ever, for every one shot and say that's his canon history and you're just playing at different moments in his life. Yeah. That I don't see sense. why not. I mean, it's all just to sit down and have a good time anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what is at the core of playing pen and paper games is, is really socializing. Yeah, that's the main reason I play D and D is to hang out with friends. Yeah. I don't like. I like D and D. It's cool, but I like. I it could be we could be playing any other game or doing anything else. Well, it's, it's, the it's point is to hang out with with my friends. Yeah, and this just happens to be a byproduct, but it's a fun byproduct. It's like uh, I used to play Yu Gi Oh for that reason. Isn't I that actually a card hate, game? I actually hate Yu Gi Oh. Yeah, the card game. I never got into those, like Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon. Yeah. I don't know. Magic the Gathering. Well, like it's Mike, all similar kind of like basis. Mike mocks me. He's like, well, that's before your time, you know, old man. But I'm, Well, not Magic I don't the Gathering. Even think that's that like, is. Yeah, yeah. Mag- I grew up with Magic, and I never got into that. Yeah. I know, to me, it's all pay to win, right? You got to like spend hundreds or even thousands of dollars to get the best cards for the best decks. Yeah, but then that's Warhammer too, right? It's very much like that. No, it isn't because even though Warhammer is ridiculously expensive, especially now, uh, tabletop war games are limited by their your points that you spend creating your army. So if someone spent $1,000 on their army and his buddy spent $500, you are really just limited to that 500 army. It doesn't matter that you have almost all those extra troops because you can only spend what the agreed-upon point value, the, you know. Really? Yeah. So, like, for example, if, if a large battle, like we used to do large battles, which were 2,000-point, you know, army battles, which means the battle itself, if it was two players, is 4,000 points. Okay. And they would take two to three days because, man, we argue a lot and sort of, you know, play casually. Right. And that's a big game. I mean, if I have 2,000 points to spend on my army in, in, you know, version, I don't know, five, let's say, or six, I'm fielding everything in my book. 
and in, and sometimes in copious amounts. So you have to go through and roll and check and do the rules for every single unit that you put on the field. But you're limited by that point value, right? Okay. So that is very different. But whereas like competitive card games, yes, what interest what I really like about them is that your deck the deck building is cool. Like, you know, the tactics involved of right. trying to um it's almost like optimize chess, so your, think ahead. Yeah, you want to yeah. optimize your hand. So Without having the, too much, so you can actually draw what you want instead of drawing things you don't necessarily And have need. the advantages that you, you and the combos you want to play. Right. But what I don't like is that, you like chess, it's mathematical, so that means that the best possible combinations can be controlled monetarily by the by the by who produces the cards. And that's what they do. They make sure that the best cards are rare and that they're worth a lot of money. So if someone spends more money on their deck than I did, they're going to win. So it's weighted in yeah. their favor. That's what I don't like. Yeah, that makes sense. So, but there are different uh, card games where you both play off the same the same deck, and you're like drawing from that, and you're like gets yeah, to I buy. Mean, so those I like those a lot more. Yeah, because um, they and they they're a lot more free form. They, they don't take as much pre planning and trying to develop your deck and all that other stuff. It, you, it's a lot more. Are, yeah, those are more to, casual. They're about the simple fun. I think. And that's like, what, that's what I like because that's the whole reason I'm playing the games again is to hang out with my friends. So I don't want right. to like have all this like I'm already kind of competitive in nature, so oh, I don't need that extra competitive competition with like trying to come up with the best thing possible and then getting upset when it doesn't work out the way I wanted it oh, to. Oh, I can't and it's even like, play. Jeez, it's oh, it, it's overwhelming. I know. Yeah. I I've broken controllers and keyboards playing PC, you know, shooter games like competitive shooter games, you know, PvP and stuff. Yeah, I can't That's why I stay away from those games now because I know, dude, I used to, I was dumb. I would do that shit, you know, I'd be do like a 12, 14 hour day of work, come home, then do that shit and get completely stressed out and then try to sleep and it's not a good idea. Yeah, the video games (laughs) I play are like story based. Yeah. That's that's relaxing. Yeah, they're like, like a movie. Yes, that's what I, that's what I want in my video game is a movie. I mean, I would like Final Fantasy because that's what it is pretty much. They're, They're like long movies, but it's just turn based most of the time, and I can't. I'm not. I don't have the patience for that. Well, my favorite thing about one of my favorite things about D and D is the storytelling. Do you ever? Is that how you look at when you play a session? Is like a movie? Are you trying to? Yeah, tell I'm trying to picture it and like. Well, if I'm DMing, yeah, I'm trying to tell a story, and I'm also trying to incorporate your actions and into my story, right? So like, both of our worlds are making one world. What kind of player is the most frustrating to you? Um, ones who don't pay attention and like diddle on their phone. Oh yeah. I, and it's just like, why are you here? They like, came up in the D and D next subreddit recently. That's why I brought it up. Cause somebody was complaining that, um, you know, he, he had a player tell him cause in the perspective of the DM, the poster was the DM. And he said that he had a player who was on their phone all the time and that he was only doing it while other people were taking their turns. And I personally hate that because, you should be paying attention if you're interested. Yeah, the whole time because there's a story unfolding around you. Well, even if it's just like combat, like yeah. you need to know what you're gonna do next and what the person before you just did. Like you need to know those things so you can right. play strategically. Like that's another thing is when people get bored and they just start doing things willy nilly and they don't really think about what their actions are gonna do and what how they're the consequences of it. And they don't like they don't use any strategy when they do any fights or anything like that. Well, yeah, but how? Or, yeah, how can you engage? Yeah, 
in what's really in what's going on around you when you're not paying attention. Yeah, and then your mindscape goes too. Like it's all gone. Yeah. Like you don't have any. Like where's your involvement now? Where's there your, is none. Where's your that, headspace? I actually consider it rude, especially to the DM, because the DM's the one who put all the work together. It is a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot it's more a lot than I thought it was. Oh like, yeah, I spend it's a lot of writing. You spend lose hours and hours setting up for yeah. shit. Yeah, I mean it's cool because you're creating something, which is right. just fun. It's just fun to create. But it's also like, hey, man, I did this for you. And now you're just like on your phone. Like, come on, let's let's like have this this time together. I think in the future I'm going to I'm going to go back. Yeah. The next time I DM in person. Yeah. Just like it's going to be no it's going to be pencil and paper. Yeah. No phones allowed. No phones. No digital devices of any kind. I think that's a good idea. I I like that. Like, you know, you have your ring. If if your phone is on for emergencies, if you think you're going to have one. Then put it in your pocket with the ringer on. Otherwise, I, or just unvibrate. Yeah, just leave it alone. Don't yeah. don't take it out to text or nothing. Like, I mean, and how hard is that really to just say, look, for the next three to four hours, I'm not going to use my phone. Is that really so difficult? <laughs> no, I don't think it is because yeah. when I hang out with someone, I don't, I don't go on my phone. Yeah, when I'm with someone, when I'm watching a movie or right. when I'm just like hanging out, I, my phone is in my pocket. The only time I ever like pull it out is if I do get a call and I need to take it. Cause right. you know, I got things going on. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But might be booty call. You can't miss I, under, I, 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 as a DM use my phone a lot though to mm-hmm. get the monsters and get the, the actual stats. That's yeah, what I use it for. I think it is. Okay. I would so, say it's okay for the DM as long as he's not texting, you know, yeah. Snapchat or Tinder while he's DMing. Yeah. I think <laughs> that's, so, I think that some people, um, also use their phone for like uh for messages for like secret messages between the DM and the player they'll do that and I don't care even for that go back to I used to have um um like notes in yeah. my notepad yeah and I went through a lot of paper writing out notes for different players and things like that the way I made it so the what so the way I would do it is like rather than making it completely out of character and then just people thinking you know meta about what's going on like okay obviously the dm is communicating with this player like in secret then it would be the only when the npc actually hands them something right so the npc like if he was a sly character like an informant or Mm -hmm. something he'd be caring he'd be pretending to sell oranges and as he handed the player i would have like it like a prop and as i handed the prop over the player i had i had the little message folded and secreted with the, with the orange right yeah so that way if they wanted they could read it in front of their friends yeah. Right, and I would consider that in character. Right, but if they wanted to keep it secret, they'd they'd feel it and they go, "Oh, I got a message," and they look underneath the table. Oh, wow, and they read so, what it says. So, so now cool. they know something that the rest of the party doesn't. And I did that on like, um, like persuasion roles and like diplomacy roles, um, not intimidation, but but diplomacy, bluff, diplomacy and persuasion, mm-hmm. but bluff and intimidation. This is going to three point five D and D. Bluff and intimidation to me were more of like a visual effect, right? Because like when you intimidate someone, it's not always like, you know, barking like a dog or roaring like a lion. Sometimes you intimidate someone with your power, right? Right. The weight behind your words can be very intimidating. Right. And like so, if the president of the United States comes up to you and starts talking, you're going to be maybe not intimidated, you're, you're but you're going your to feel No matter who like, you are, okay, like your, yeah. your spine is going to vibrate a little bit. I don't care who you are. Yeah. Unless you're psychopathic, but that's not in your control. So... <laughs> Yeah. So that's so that's how I looked at that. And the same thing with bluff. Bluff is sort of like a politician telling you one thing. Okay, we're getting political now. But yeah, someone telling you something but meaning something else, right? Yeah. Just like distracted conversation. 
or, or meaning. So, yeah, so on persuasion and diplomacy checks, that's what I tried to do. I wasn't always perfect at it, but I feel like that's how I learned how to hand off drugs. Like, I should have been a dealer because, like, <laughs> I can, like, do that shit from DMing. So another life skill or yeah. from D&D. How to deal drugs. Um, With oranges. That's one of the things I've been wanting to do is add more props in my D&D. Props add a lot. Because um, music and one thing. Yeah, go ahead, oh, I use music a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We all, use, yeah. yeah. That's one of my favorite things is to have like a speaker going while we're playing. It like it really sets that tone in the atmosphere. It really helps. Yeah. But I wanted to start. Um, I've been learning Japanese, so I've been practicing writing a lot. Mm. So I have all these notes and like pieces of cardboard and just strewed across yeah, my room. Yeah, gotten great, yeah. And so I want to use those and just throw them to the party. And it's like you find these in a room just scattered around. And so I can have them decide what these mean. Does this mean that this is just something like it could be like abyssal, right? You could pretend that that's the language it's in. So they would have to decipher if this means... That they were trying to learn abyssal, and why would this person be trying to learn abyssal? Like the language of a demon. Do you like more investigative like that? Do you feel? I think that's, that's important. I think that's that they, that's what's fun. Who cares about roles, right? Who cares about like the math of of your game? Oh, you what's, mean roles as in rolling the dice? Right, that's what uh-huh. I mean. Sorry, the math, like like the stats of like the monster versus your your roll to hit and all that stuff. Like that's that's boring. What's Some people fun, find that really important. I know some people like it, but for me, what's fun is the actual like role play aspect yeah. is the the story. Yes. The story. That's what's entertaining. That's what's in, that's what's engaging. That's what's enveloping of your, like your soul and like your, your identity. And it's like, okay, th- I am this guy. Right. And I got to figure out why this man just murdered an entire town. Like, and how he did it. Well, that's how it, like when I have a party of murder hobos and they only care about their roles, but I'm just trying to tell a story. I feel like that old, that old like joke that my grandmother would tell where she'd say, you know, bird and a fish can fall in love, but where will they live? That's how <laughs> I feel as a DM with my players sometimes. Wow, it's like, that's a really cool saying. Yeah, I know. I love it too. How do you say it in Bulgarian? Do you know? I have no idea. Okay, because, um, you know, your mother, your grandmother's Bulgarian. My so favorite I thought Bulgarian, she said it. she's got several, but my favorite that she, that I always say to her, we say to each other when I see her is Borbaja Zevut, which just means fight for life. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, never like give it. up, basically. Yeah, that's yeah. one of my mottos. Yeah. Never give up, never surrender. Always, <laughs> always work, work. You know, fight for life, fight for what you want. Yeah, you know? it's important because so, it once you lose that fight, then it's just a downhill. What are you living for? Yeah, yeah. And then you stop moving, and once you stop moving, you, your body just deteriorates, and it's just like, yeah, it's downhill. And you gotta, you gotta always be fighting to always be surviving. I agree, and that's kind of like, um, what? So, if you look at. So, like, if you look at a party of murder hobos, right? Okay. Which is just, you know, anyone listening to games and knows what that is. Basically, it's characters or players who use their characters just to kill and loot. Like, they don't care about moral choices or things like that. Right. But what I try to do often, if I have, like, a party like that, is is trick them into a moral decision that catches them off their guard. Like, when I did that, if you remember, we were playing with, you know, Mike, Sarah, and Alec, mm-hmm. and, uh, and you... And I got to, it was in my campaign. And I had you guys up in the mountains, and you came across a large creature, but it looked like a child of a large creature. Right? Oh, it ended yeah. up being a baby ogre. Like yeah, a young that ogre, was really cool. Like a child ogre. Right, but Mike's Mike jumped right away to kill it. Yeah, and I tried with, to stop him. But after Sarah was upset with him, 
you know, both in and out of character. <laughs> I could see in his face that he stopped to think about it, even though he was still defending his stance. It's like, it's a monster. Yeah. I, I do feel like he had the thought, like, well, yeah, it's a monster, but it's a child. Yeah. But it's and a- I hope he had that thought. Because- <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool well, because then, then we found its mother, right? And we had to fight. No, we fought the mother first. That's what it was. And then we found the baby. Yeah, and 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 then and then we're the and then as well. Yeah, yeah, and then we had to kill. And then he decided to kill the child not only because it was a monster, but how would it survive on its own? Because it's a baby. I was like, I mean, that's a good point. Reason so- is murder into mercy, <laughs> or his mercy into murder. Have you ever had to kill an animal because as oh, yeah. it was dying like yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, that's so sad. I I saw it done once. There was a a raccoon with my with a broken leg that once it fell off a fence and then. My dad was like, we we had to like end its suffering. I, yeah, I was I've, like, I was like, as a child, I was probably eight when I saw this. I think I was about the same age, actually. No, it was, it was yeah. really profound as like a. Oh yeah. As a kid, it hit like your I, gut. Well, yeah. I was just like, it was a whole new understanding of life that yeah. like a mercy killing is a thing and what that means and like. It's like yeah, but I mean, again, it applies to D and D like what we did, what Mike did. We we decided it was a mercy killing at the end yeah and that's what interests, what interests me a lot about playing D and something I, I pay attention anyway to you know the mannerisms and and idiosyncrasies of of people i love the people watch i love to learn from that and D is really great for it because when people play D when players play D, they no matter how tightly wound they are they eventually relax they get to a point where they feel comfortable and they open up more about their inner personas by applying them to their character. Yeah. And some characters, so like the way I look at it, and you can tell me what you think, is there's two types of role players. There's role players who are like, I would say I fall into the first category. There's role players that use their different personas to to play with different ideas of character. Yeah, right? I think to, you do a good job of playing different types thank of character. You, man. And I, I enjoy that. So, you know, I, I like to experience, I like to play and test the different parts of of me yeah. and my characters, right? But both emotionally and intelligently. And then the second category of, of role player, I would say, is the person who is, regardless of character choice, the same person spiritually, like morally. Yeah, they're, like they they, just, are, they play themselves the one. for the most part. And yeah, they really do. They sense. play themselves, which I think I kind of do. Yeah. I think I play myself the most because I'm always like chaotic neutral mm-hmm. as an alignment. Mm-hmm. Um. Which is like my character's like morals, if you will. Yeah. Um. So I think that that's for me. That's just easier that way. It's just the, it's the easiest way to play my character because it's the most free and aligned with my I guess my own morals. <laughs> so it's just way easier that way. I have played characters more recognizable way to I, introduce to role play. Yeah. Yeah. And I have played characters like a lawful couple lawful good characters, but I just don't have fun with it because you. It's like I feel limited. And I feel like I have to do the right thing all the time. And it's like, it just gets boring for me. But I, I feel like for some people, they actually like that constraints. And they also like playing out, like, how would it be to be like like a like a Superman-esque character who's yeah, like the moral high ground, and, always good. Yeah. yeah. Well, pen and paper gaming has become way more commercialized. It's been sort of like a renaissance, a resurgence of it, I would say, in like yeah. the last five years especially. What do you think? How do you feel about I here's well here's what I have to say first about that before I ask you this question is that one thing I feel it has done especially with like, you know, critical role and shows about 
pen and paper gaming and streaming it and things like that. Yeah, like Str- Stranger Things even as a right, yeah, the way it's show about it's back into like regular media. Let's say right, mm-hmm. is that it's now role players are very video game developed. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's their experience with this generation. Right. Like I grew up, I had, I had, there were video games when I was a kid too, but they were not, they were nothing like they are now. They were almost more like, you know, like a, I'm trying to like liken it to something comparatively, but they were just so simple. They were, they were more simple than board games. Right when I was a kid, yeah, like well, they the were 80s. so constrained by the technology at the right. time, and so there was pen no and paper, graphics. No, right. I mean, so pen and paper gaming was still the best graphics around, so to speak, and I still think it is today. But what I mean was nothing compared with it, right? right? But now the imagination has a lot of competition. I feel yes, and I think for some people, some players, they prefer like they're you know that maybe their imagination's weak. So the video game takes over mm-hmm. for them in their mind. Right. And that translates into the kind of player that plays their characters on pen and paper more like you would a video game character. Right. So how do you feel since I think you're more coming out of that generation, not that you play that way. Right. But since you're what well, you're new to DMing with the last two years, right? Yeah. But that's still that you've been DMing that whole time. Yeah, and do you think that's less attractive for from a DM's point point of view to have those kinds of players that just want to do the rolling? They just want to see the video game unfold, basically. In in the yeah, gameplay. I, th- I see the video games I like are story based. So like hack and slash, the whole game mechanics matter a lot less to me than the story. I literally want to play an interactive movie. Like yeah. that's what I love. Like. um was it Dead by Dawn? That was a good one. Um, uh, Between two, two Worlds, um, Heavy Rain, games like that. Those are my favorite. I really like those kinds of games. And then I also really like other games like God of War. And I like Prince of Persia. And these are like the games that made me want to become a game designer. Like that, that was my, my dream. Um, So the story is what's important. That's the common theme about all these games is they have a very strong story and they're character driven. So I think that's what's important in D&D and that's what I try and convey is that the story is what's entertaining and what is engaging, not necessarily the combat. The only reason I really do combat is because a lot of players just want to do roles and they want to just fight and they think that's what's fun and that's what's cool. Do you think you could do a D&D session without without a fight? Without rolling dice? Would without you, rolling dice. What would See, that be? Wouldn't that just be storytelling then? Yeah, but it would be... Because it's more than just combat. There's skill checks. Right. And, and how clever you are as a DM and how clever the players are with their abilities. So the game that, the or the, the one shot that I pretty much described to you in, um, in this. The beginning of this episode. Right. Um, that could be accomplished without fighting. Right. You could, you could encounter the monster and not fight it and just still, and still get Petya, and the little girl back. Right. Like you could convince her to to switch children back and the 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 monster mother would do that. You would just have to treat its child with the same love and kindness that you would treat your child. But if you're with a group of players that are just never interested in that part of this or that type of solution, do you try to entice them into it? Do you, do you keep bringing it back into the storytelling or so I just give them the option. Them, yeah. I let them choose. So if they want to be 
hack and slash don't care what happens with the with the in respect to their consequences of killing an important character then so be it like if you killed this monster mother you're not getting Pietra back you're not getting the little girl she is staying in the fairy world what's your opinion on fifth edition D&D do you like it yeah um I like it it's fun it's it's a lot more streamlined which can be annoying um, the first D and D I ever played was Pathfinder. That was the edition that I played, which is like what four four point five, something like that. It's like a weird like Pathfinder is three point five with adjusted rules. Okay, that's basically what Pathfinder. So it's is. like at least that's how oh, I. Look it's at like it. almost a fourth edition. Right? Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't call it an edition. I mean, it, it's a, almost a separate game now. Really, yeah. I mean, I think it is. It's it's D and D like evolved in in a, in a way. When it first came out, I liked Pathfinder when it first came out because the developers for three for you know third edition D and D right away knew they had screwed up and they came out with three point five like like right after releasing three. And I have those books. I have three books and I have three point five books. And three point five is probably one is one of the best editions of D and D in my opinion, having played them all. Right. And Pathfinder was born from basically wanted to do three from editing 3.5 again okay and when pathfinder first came out i liked the idea behind pathfinder then because it it simplified some of the skills it grouped some of the skills kind of like what fifth does oh yeah but fifth is like to an extreme right yeah that's that's a problem that's a problem i have with fifth is that it's look it fifth is great for introducing new players to D. Uh, i think you're right but it's very much you know it's funny to me because People that don't like fourth say fourth is a MOBA that it's you know it's a it's a design for a board game or a video game. But to me, it's more interesting and complicated and nuanced than fifth. Yeah, because in fifth, fifth to me is like D and D for dummies. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't well, really like matter you said, what it, build you like, have. You can you'll be you'll have purpose in the party. Yeah, it's like easy mode for it a D and D. It's really and easy like, mode. And I three point like, five would be like medium to hard level, like. Yeah, it just encourages because like, there's the a lot more D and D is the more it encourages the DM to homebrew. The in easier order to it add, is. I well, the more it encourages. Yeah, so like the simpler D and D, the simpler the rules are for D and D, the more at least I feel encouraged as a DM to homebrew things that are more really? interesting into the gameplay. Well, like for example, my the one one of the biggest changes I don't like about Fifth is the negative and positive energy right. lane. Right, that's one of the things I liked a lot about Pathfinder. It's so interesting. You can you can yeah. heal a zombie with well, that's a three point five uh, thing. Yeah, but right? you could heal him with a negative energy spell. Well, I just right? like that. And I, I like think that's the, really yeah. interesting. It is. It, 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 it makes adds a whole new depth, different. like another yeah. world plane of you know of of element in existence. Whereas now everything is just you know hard coded there's no the metaphysics the magic from the from D and fifth is kind of pulled they've kind of pulled back on that you know what i mean yeah. and and coming from someone who i mean in reality i'm very non-metaphysical right as you right. know me i'm very i mean i'm an atheist right so i i just but that doesn't mean anything to me i just i just take everything at face value i look at logic and reason and, and yeah. evidence okay. so the reason i bring that up is because it, it, on the opposite when I'm in D&D like I because I love metaphysical stories right yeah I love like religious stories or myth- mythological oh, yeah. stories I get like, you. they're so exciting it's in the same way yeah so they're fun to imagine and that's mm-hmm. what I that's why when I D&D when I play D&D and I DM 
which is you know dungeon master then i which is the storyteller i that's what i like to do yeah so it's 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 i don't know i guess it's, it's what's interesting to me is you know, do you know like do you do you entice the player to fall into the story more or do you do like you said and just let them have their board game video game experience i try and make make meet the middle right yeah. i allow them to have their what they want to do fight and do what they want but i also want to tell my story so i'm going to tell it's my be story fun for you too you yeah know? exactly cuz i i I'm spending a lot of time creating it, so you're spending the most time. Yeah, players are just waiting to play. DMs are always playing in yeah, a way. DMs are constantly creating the whole week. Yeah. I am thinking of of what I'm going to do, uh, refining it, thinking of new scenarios that they might try. Yeah, and I still don't think of every scenario. I still don't think of the players always seem to do the one thing I didn't think to plan ahead of for, which is fun, which is cool. You know, you get to think on the spot and turn it around and make it work. I think that's what I what I've learned over the years from DMing is have tools that allow me to quickly adapt to the decisions players make. And going back to like D and D and and the real world and how it affects it and vice versa, I've used that in job, you know, in in the work field right as well. Like making sure I'm ready to just adapt to the situation, like yeah. especially when I worked in construction, because it's it's live. Right. Mm -hmm. It's everything's happening now in front of me and there's a lot of danger and there's a lot of money at risk. So you've got to make good decisions, you know? Yeah. So that's what I like is like, even though I have a plan for the session, I can still change it. Like I can still like add like little details that I didn't think of while writing. I can like in the moment, like I don't really pre-plan a lot of dialogue. What I do is, is I'll think of what the character is like as a as a NPC. I'll think of what what is their personality, what is His their motivation, and priorities, and what it, yeah exactly and alignment. That's all you need. Yeah, and then when he interacts with the players, all the information I need is already there. I just have to come up with it as the character on like speak it. I don't have to like read off a script or anything, which is a lot easier for my mind to do at least. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, it's easy for anyone. I mean, well, I don't know. I think a lot of people have troubles thinking on the spot and like improv oh i, see I think that's that's a different no, i yeah. think that's a that's something that i'm not even great at but it's something that i'm improving on and yeah it's, that's, that's what's well, easier skill. for me everything's yeah. a skill you just gotta practice yeah that's what i believe yeah. you know? do you think that the in-game lore is important for a new character or any character or player to be to know well i mean what's important with with leisure <laughs> and entertainment i look at it like this the rules and the lore are set they're not set in stone they're they're not a bible they're they're more like a guideline yeah. right so if you want to think like you know people have arguments all the time like this <laughs> some random dude on the internet complaining about players who think of their warforged characters as as robots i don't care if you do that you know if i'm dming that's fine that's part of your fun you know, and and really, you're not totally wrong because Warforge, many Warforges from Eberron setting are are portrayed as sort of robotic, right? They they're programmed. They have simple drone-like, you know, algorithms. Right. Or well, they're, they're material so and magic in nature. Meat. Yeah. You know, one was built to do alchemy. One was built to cook. One was built to be a soldier. So that is robotic in nature. So I don't mind if the player wants to do that. Um, yeah, but they got souls, right? 
Yeah, I, I, I guess they do. But, you know, again, that's where do you play with that in, in current edition D&D for the meta, as far as metaphysics yeah. are concerned. So, yeah, the lore is not that important to me. Uh, in fact, I find it more interesting when someone is using, they're dreaming up their own story yeah. and just using the lore as sort of mile markers on the journey. Well, that what the I like to do is tell. use the lore at, for people who know the lore, right? And just put little little information, little like nuggets yeah. of like of things like... Um, you got to do that because they put the effort in. Yeah, well, I like it because it's like the character or the player knows about that. If they do know about the lore, it's like a little like, Oh, I get that. Okay. Oh, I see what you did there. I see how you incorporated this. That's cool. You know, it's like it adds, it gets some like more I, interested. In it. It's like an Easter egg, if you will. I think that's a really important point too, because um, in three point five, the skill is called you know knowledge, and it just referred to like how smart your character is. Right. So in fifth edition, you have history. Yeah. And I don't think I. Th- I feel like whenever I'm watching someone online or or talking to another DM, when they use their history checks or their arcana checks, they're not, they're not using them well enough. And by that, I mean, it's usually just a role play response, something irrelevant maybe to the story. Like if you do like a religion or a history check and the player succeeds and all you tell them is that, uh, uh, you know, the mural you see on the wall is a depiction of the God so-and-so and and underneath him are, are followers. Right. I, I feel like there should be more to that. I think I think that history and arcana checks should be more like puzzle checks and sort of giving so if if the party's trying to solve a problem mm-hmm. or and it's a pu- it's puzzle in nature, right. you know, like it's it's too it's complicated, mm-hmm. then someone with good history in arcana should be sort of shortcutting the problem for the for the group, finding like a primer to the to the solution. Right. And that's how I like to use those skills because it's way more rewarding for the book nerd, the librarian in the group, yeah. so to speak, right? The knowledge nerd. And I, those players, that's how they want to be rewarded. They don't want to be rewarded with loot. They want to yeah. be rewarded with being the guy who able, figured it out. Being able and, to use their skills. Yeah, yeah. To, to use their brain. You yeah. know? So that's, I think, the best way, to, like, or one of the good ways to use those skills. Don't, don't make any skill. My main thing when I DM is don't make any skill check passive or – don't make it you know passively important and not important you know like fluff because that because then i feel like to me if i'm playing and i realize that my proficiency in history is just a, a, you know for fluff it doesn't do me any good yeah then i'm never going to use it or yeah. i won't care that it, when i do so then that's no fun do you like that the game changes with each new edition do you think oh, that's D&D. a good thing that in D that the game changes a little i do think that's a fun idea. I don't know if it's always good. And I say it that way because I like when they when they try new things. And that's what I liked about every edition of D&D up until 5th. 5th is just falling back on 3.5 and then smoothing it out. Making the planescape for the rules, for the experience, just really easy to understand and streamlined. Yeah, uh, I'm not a big fan of that. And my bias is probably because I grew up with, you know, second edition. And that second edition really wasn't fun. Like, the rules were ridiculous. They were they were complicated. They were clearly written by, like, you know, uh, I don't know, a math wizard or something. But <laughs> that wasn't us. We loved it because it was just something to, to like, found, create a foundation for our gameplay. Um, I like the changes in three. I like the changes in fourth. 
And I hope they go back to that with whatever next edition of D&D they do. I hope they introduce... Like, I like the reintroduction of new ideas and new systems. That keeps it fresh mm-hmm. while still being a D20 game. So would so, you want it to be easy like 5th edition is, but with more complexity in the sense of like within the world and like the negative and positive energies being able to flank and putting more of those kind of aspects. I, I do think, yeah, I think a lot there there's the rules for complicating, let's say the experience um, are vague. And I, I more than any other edition of D and D there's no, in other words with fifth edition, I have homebrewed the most rules. And again, it's yeah. a lot of bias. I'm really backpedaling on old things. I like from previous D and D or gameplay sessions, and I'm just constantly bringing forward into future. What know, if like the next plan. edition of D and D had like level system in the sense of a player? So there was like easy mode, medium mode, and then hard mode. So it, it, you kind kind well, of that's like what you had. You could kind of like adjust and add more rules as your skill level. Well, that's goes exactly up. So what. So you can yeah, you can like have now. Okay, so now that you understand the basics, you can now add flanking you can right. now add uh different kinds of energy levels and different like you know negative energy positive energy so you could heal a bad guy with or a negative creature with negative energy well do you yeah. think that would be a good thing to like add new levels like that in this within the same edition so you play like a couple sessions you get familiar with it then you go to the new level and you get familiar with that and then you get more complex as it goes up. Do you think that's a, a good idea? Or do so you think that would like be new like, rules open up as your character levels or as you level in general, as a player, like, you know, like you as a, what as a real a person, as a, re- as a real person, you now understand this concept. Okay. Now that you're no longer a newbie, you can go to the medium level. Yeah. I and think not necessarily just like level one, level two, level three for your, your wizard. But for you as a player, as a person, I think that's a really, I think you touched on a really good, strong idea. And I don't think, as far as I can recall, D&D has never done anything like that. Um, I think the next D&D version of D&D should do something like that. I think when you hit level, because like what fifth does is when you hit level two and level three, you know, you, you choose your path for the type right. of class you're currently in, things like that. Um, but I agree. I think. I think as you level up, if it inter- if you had to level your character in order to unlock, say, like flanking, right? Okay. Then that would start to introduce new rules. To yeah, the I kind of like that too. You, well, it's your yeah. idea. I'm just yeah, but finding like, it for yeah, you. Yeah, you're, you're just <laughs> you're pers- you're putting in a different perspective than what I was just thinking. But I really like that. That it's because like, I don't as, think D&D as a character, other than with fourth edition, they had you know heroic levels and and then epic and paragon and they yeah. had in 3.5 too they had heroic and yeah epic. you could become a god in the older editions you become if a you demigod like in fourth yeah. edition you basically become a demigod if you reach level 30 yeah that's like, pretty and cool. i and i like that i thought that was another cool thing about fourth um you're gonna hear whenever we talk about D D, if we, re- if we reference fourth you're gonna hear praise from me because <laughs> i'm a big fan of fourth having played even like the old school D rule set yeah i liked i really love the idea of encounter abilities at will abilities daily abilities it really broke down mechanically a way for people to understand the concept of having to rest to reclaim the energy the endurance to do things in the gameplay yeah i think maybe where they failed a little bit was those abilities had too much flair behind them 
And so everything felt like a magical attack. I think that's where people kind of lost connection with their character there. Like even a fighter um, or a warlord, some of the way mechanically, some of the way the abilities operated felt more like magic than something physical. So I think maybe that's where some of the communication was lost with the player and the character and the rules. But the concepts for fourth are excellent. That's what I really like is the mecha- you know how the systems operate themselves behind out of character. Right. Um, and that's completely missing in fifth. I feel like fifth is it's just so dry. It really yeah. is. It you know it's it's a it's a doctor's office. It's boring. You know. Yeah. But like I said, I think it is a good opener it is and for people who haven't it's played still D, so i don't want to shit on it too much yeah. it does still bring people together to play and really th- there's got to be more people playing D now than ever in history i think you're right because it's I mean, become it's exploded it, it it wasn't cool you know to play D. it was it was a nerdy kid game oh, now no now idea. it's like everyone's playing you know actresses and actors are playing these are playing D&D like Hollywood stars are doing this dude you so, got you've got you know when I grew as a kid when I was playing D&D with my friends I felt like it wasn't conscious we didn't talk about it but we did keep it a secret from our other friends or from other people in school yeah because you were just a total dork if you, <laughs> you liked want to fantasy be books and fantasy for, games yeah. right and yeah I've told this other people you know you like you know guys younger than me that like you you got it so good now you can go to uh, a comic like when i went to like comic cons conventions in in like the 90s like early 90s and late 80s as a kid like you know a young teenager mm-hmm. dude you didn't see women scantily clad you i know, don't think you would see a woman it, 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 <laughs> it was it was just a smelly event of like a sea of virgins and it was just ter- it was really kind of a terrible experience but you went there because you wanted to see the merch and you wanted to meet like writers and art- artists. That's why I went. I I didn't go there to like game or interact, even though yeah. a lot of people do that. And I'm glad they did. But now if you go to a convention, it almost feels like a softcore porn, <laughs> you know, like convention because it's just so, there's so much skin. I mean, there's so many females cosplaying now. And if you like guys, there's plenty of guys cosplaying too. So it's just, it blows my mind. I'm like, you guys have no idea like how. <laughs> how lucky you go good you got it if you're if you're in your early 20s now it's like the golden age of of of, of cosplay yeah there's some real of everything fantasy just oh, yeah. all together oh yeah absolutely it is has blown up and it's no longer shameful like you were saying like you were scared to tell no, your friends about it now People it's like it yeah proudly. it's like it's almost to the sense of like, I don't know, I feel like saying it, like I'm a hipster saying this, but it's like not as fun now that everyone's doing it, you know? But it's yeah, still it, cool. It loses some of the cult allure, you know? The, yeah, under the table, like the back alley yeah. element it had. Um, that's with anything. Yeah. 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 I feel the same way. It's like when, when something gets real popular, it's like, well, now I don't want to do this because <laughs> it's just in my face too much, you know? Well, I just, I just want to like back away from it anything that's like just constantly bombarding too mainstream yeah Yeah. well it's just because there's just it's just everywhere i do the same thing with music too yeah you know if i hear and that's why i don't listen to radio anymore because you hear the same songs over and over and over again it's like okay i don't oh well that's a whole other don't care that's a whole other conversation is music we'll have to do that sometime right but i mean it's the same thing with like any game if it gets thrown at me so much it's Mm -hmm. like it's like okay i don't oversaturated don't care anymore yeah it's oversaturated it's just like it's like i don't know i like my my nuance, if you will. <laughs> no, I, I agree. There's charm to that. And yeah, no, I mean, it's funny because I'm thinking about cosplayers again. It's like I never when I was when I was a teenager, I never thought I'd see cosplayers that looked like 
they were in shape for the character they were playing <laughs> or portraying. But now it's like, if I don't see a buff Superman or a buff He-Man, I'm like, oh, this guy's not even trying. He's really <laughs> it's like, dude. Even lift, bro? Like, come on. Yeah, like, like what? Get, it's, get, it's such a low-effort thing, you know? Like, you'd, see, you'd just see some dude in a Superman costume, you know, and <laughs> his, his pork belly hanging out. But you're like, hey, he's a fan. That's what you do if you're a diehard fan. Now it's... I question whether or not some of these cosplayers are even fans of the content that they're Yeah, right. Portraying. They're just doing it for the likes they're just on Instagram doing it for or whatever. The, for the attention. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure there's that too. There has to be. But, you know, whatever floats your hey, boat. Yeah, exactly. Everyone wants to feel that self-worth. And if that's how you're getting it, I guess that's what you're going to do. So if you're going to cosplay, we're going to pretend that we could get you to cosplay, Zach. <laughs> and you are going to cosplay as a and d character. And it could be anything. A character you made or something out of the lore. What would you be? Uh, I'd probably be some kind of tiefling or, or cambion. You know, I'd be, like demon. I'd be demonic. You know, demonic, I'd do something dark. That's what I like. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'd definitely be like a, like a cambion or a tiefling yeah. for sure. Something that's humanoid but yet demonic. Would you marry a tiefling in real yes. life? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Spend no time thinking about it. <laughs> That's like, oh man. That's one of my favorite things is like women that seem dark and then like, but they're still like sweet on the inside and they're like, you know, they're like, they're so good they to you. A, they put up a they're, strong guard to the world. Right. But they're good to you. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's. Oh, sure. That's perfect. Really, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. Because then you know that they, they've gone through some things and they're going to, they know how to persevere through it. You know, the, hmm. or they haven't. Yeah, there's a dark side of that coin. <laughs> yeah, but I don't look at that side. Someone with not a, someone with too, not enough or very few life experiences is someone who can't make good decisions either because they have nothing to compare to. Well, no, that's what I'm saying is that they have they have gone through some some shit. So you prefer right? you want your tiefling to be. She's like an ex-stripper and hooker, and she's been no, a not, single mother be, twice. <laughs> and hey, why? Well, I mean, she's does it have to be like she's got just like you know. She's got a spine, man, if she's been through that. Yeah. And after all that, she wants she wants Zach the Tiefling. It'll <laughs> be good stuff, though. Yeah. Now I'm just... That's all I can think about. I'm going to get a demonic woman. All right. <laughs> <laughs>